Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Techspansive. I'm Sean Dubrovac from Avrio Institute. And I'm Ross Rubin at Reticle Research. We thought this week we would jump into all things earnings. We've had a number of earnings reports this week from Facebook, Microsoft, Apple, PayPal, Amazon, of course. So we thought we'd take a, a quick look at some of the announcements that we've seen there and, and talk about the implications for things to come. And then we have more announcements coming uh, in the week ahead, including from Disney. So everyone will be anticipating Disney Plus subscriber numbers as they materialized in the last quarter. Ross, perhaps we start with Amazon, which had a, a phenomenal quarter, as many of these companies did. It reported fourth quarter revenue of $87.4 billion. That's up 21% year over year. Net income of $3.3 billion. It reported AWS revenue of almost $10 billion, $9.9 billion. That's up from $7.4 billion in the fourth quarter. And they also gave us a, uh, a new glimpse at Prime subscriber numbers, reporting now that they have 150 million Prime subscribers and that more joined Prime during the fourth quarter of last year than any quarter in the company's history. Yeah, the AWS story is a familiar story uh, at, at this point, the growth that we're seeing there. Uh, I think it's interesting that Microsoft is somewhat able to stay in the race, um, but uh, Amazon, uh, you know, keeps, uh, keep, keeps showing strong growth. Uh, and that's a trend that just seems to be continuing in terms of things moving to the cloud, uh, companies beginning to trust uh, public cloud more and more. You know, we hear a lot about hybrid cloud and how uh, you know companies want certain things on prem or more control, uh, but it seems that for uh, a large swath of the applications, that's uh, getting the job done. Uh, both Microsoft and Amazon continue to roll out many new cloud services, uh, which I'm, I'm sure is also helping to drive the growth. Uh, on the prime side. Uh, it is, um, it, it's kind of fascinating that we're seeing this level of growth um, after so many years where we've seen an, a number of uh, price hikes uh, over those years. And the question is, what's, what's really driving it? So I've seen some suggestions that the shift from two-day delivery to promised one-day delivery is uh, much of what is uh, is driving it. And unlike in some of, say, the other uh, subscription services, such as Netflix, where there seems to be a, a fair amount of, um, uh, you know, se sensitivity to competition and particularly price, the question becomes what what is really a viable alternative to, to Prime? Uh, there's, you know, certainly it's a unique bundle that you would, you would have to piece together if you wanted all those services, which people may not necessarily want. But I also wonder, you know, what are its implications for, I guess, uh, the primary competitor on the delivery side, which may be something like ShopRunner uh, or, you know, various um, kinds of delivery services. Um, 
that uh, I think Shipt is one of them that uh, other retailers are are trying to partner with. Uh, but uh, but but clearly that that combination is resonating, and the you know given that the growth occurred in Q4 leads me to believe that despite all the stuff that Amazon has layered on, you know, maybe it's the one day shipping, but, but just in general, the shipping continues to be a shipping benefits continue to be a driving force because it's, it's easy, maybe not easy, but you know, you can do that math if, if you're an Amazon shopper and you can see, Oh, look at the shipping for this. Look at the shipping for that. Uh, sure. It may be artificially inflated. I've seen, you know, those reports have been going on for years but at the end of the day, that's what you as a consumer uh, are forced to pay. And you look at Prime and say, okay, well, for, you know, 10 bucks a month or, you know, maybe a little bit more, uh, I, w- I won't have to think about that. So, so that's, that's what I think is happening with Prime. Yeah, and I think the, so. My, my own personal experience is that I think it's going to be very difficult for retailers to compete with that. It isn't just a price story, but it's also a convenience story. And I was in a retailer during the during the December month as I was doing a little bit of holiday shopping. There was something I wanted to get. They didn't have it in stock. It was available on their website, and they said they could ship it to me, and they would waive some of the fees, but it would still take their estimate was five days to get to me. Mm. And when I went to Prime, they had the same item. It was actually a lower price and I could get it in a day or two days. And so I think that on all facets, both on price and and the logistics behind one day shipping, Amazon is going to win out in that space. And so that there is tremendous momentum. And then all of these other things that are added to your Prime subscription are just... A, a sweetener of the deal. So yeah, totally agree. Uh, video, audio, all of these other things. Uh, I don't think that people are doing the estimates. I don't think they're thinking about what shipping is costing them or what they're saving from shipping. I, I think that they just see it as a convenient place. We've seen a lot of research in the past that suggests people are going to Amazon when they want to search for a product. Yep. Like, yep. is a product even available? I'm just going to go to Amazon. So it is the the Google for physical goods. Right. And so I, I think that that just has people starting to, to really develop that muscle memory. What will be interesting to see is how sensitive people are to increases in that prime subscription price. It's clear that while Amazon has done a phenomenal job building out the logistics, they have done so without a real focus on cost. And so they, if you, as you look in their, uh, their earnings, costs for shipping services are, are significant. That's something that presumably they will have to rein in at some point. And uh, how they do that remains to, to be seen, whether they do it from an operational standpoint and they, they rein in those costs or whether they increase the price to consumers is something to watch closely. And what, what we've seen as we look at other services like Netflix, consumers tend to be pretty sensitive to price increases. And Netflix, mm-hmm. whenever they increase their price uh, for their subscription service, they do see people dropping off in connection with that. We don't really see that to any any extent that we can observe it with Amazon as they've increased the, the cost of Prime. So it will be very interesting 
to see how that how that plays out and how Amazon manages that moving forward. So it's kind of funny to think about the power of exclusivity um, when you think about Prime and how you know we probably both agree there's no real direct substitute for it today, even in terms of the core shipping benefit. Uh, whereas the exclusives have uh, been given so much credit for driving Netflix's growth, uh, which I think is is a fair assessment, but not compelling enough necessarily to retain those customers as competition increases. Um, and we saw some of this drop off even before the real big media guys got in. And now that they're in, uh, Netflix's pricing looks even harder to sustain, uh, given the pricing that Disney is pursuing and this uh, what, what it seems to be a very substantial free tier that uh, NBC is going to be offering through uh, through Peacock. Yeah, I mean, you de- you definitely see a big push towards advertising video on demand services as opposed to just pure subscription play video on demand services. Not only do you see that coming from Peacock, but you also see it from new entrants like Quibi. So mm-hmm. b- both of these were uh, a big theme at CS earlier in January as they talked about those services, both look like they'll be doing a a hybrid. So you can opt to have a pure advertising video on demand service, or you can pay a certain amount and see fewer ads and you can pay a little more and, and have even fewer ads or, or no ads in, in a potential scenario. So uh, I think that those will, if the content offerings are rich enough, really compete against some of these traditional sub- subscription services. And and again, this is where Amazon ha- has almost a, a neutral playing field because they're in a way not competing against them in, in a direct approach because you're not monetizing that directly. You're monetizing it as part of all these other benefits that include uh, primarily shipping services and, and free shipping uh, offerings. What uh, other than the pricing structure? What's sort of your general sense of, about Quibi in terms of its uh, potential? Your uh, do, do you think it's uh, this short form video uh, portrait video idea is uh, is something that will uh, will resonate? There are some really interesting aspects of Quibi. Whether it resonates to the point that it's a viable business, I think remains to be seen. But I think there are some really interesting directions that they're going. First, rethinking episodic content rather mm-hmm. than it being 40 minutes or 20 minutes. You know, they're looking at much shorter episodes of, of 10 minutes or so. Right. I think that's a really interesting model. They're using the mobile phone at, and they're trying to really be mobile, mobile first and mobile centric. I think they're using the mobile phone in a really interesting way. So you probably saw that Steven Spielberg did a uh, horror film called After Dark, and the content will only unlock After Dark. So it's using <laughs> the the sensors on your phone to know nice. when what time it is where you're at, and then making it available for you After Dark. Uh-huh. So I, I, I like that aspect. I think there's some really interesting approaches to that and using the sensors on the phone. And obviously, they're essentially sending two streams of content to the device so that you can um, portrait and landscape. Yeah. Or, as you, as yeah, you yeah. change the orientation of the phone, then you get a different 
shot. You actually right. get a little it, information. It looks like it works really smooth. It could be really interesting. Uh, and so I think that's a really interesting uh, approach. Some of the demos that they showed at CES during their keynote there were pretty interesting in how uh, d directors and the creative artists behind all of this content are, are thinking about it. So imagine that you hear the, the phone ring in a horror film and your phone actually uh, rings see, see that that crosses into gimmick for me so <laughs> it crosses into yeah. gimmick yeah for me so. yeah well and so it'll be interesting to see are there other ways to use the information that we that that is embedded in that phone experience or those sensors right. in, in a unique way there were some other examples where they showed one clip where they um there's somebody ringing the doorbell and it's a doorbell that's connected to a, a you know a mobile phone and so you actually get that first point of view that first perspective uh, i see by I looking see. in your in your mobile phone you actually right. see the view that they would see if they were picking up their Curing. mobile phone yeah right yeah so there'll be some interesting approaches whether those resonate with the consumer remains to be seen but i think it's it's interesting I, when you look at the younger generation, they definitely want shorter form content. Right. And they and so to make episodic content that same way, I think is really interesting. When I watch younger audiences watch content, it isn't uncommon to watch them actually fast forward through the show. They'll skip through the show. It isn't just commercials they're trying to skip through, but they'll actually skip right. through parts of the content that they feel are moving too slowly. TLDW. Yeah. Too long, didn't watch. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So they want to they want to consume the content, but they want to do it by skipping towards the end and skipping over the slow parts. So mm. why not just make content that builds some of those characteristics in? I think whether Quibi has the model to do that, I don't know. But I think those trends are definitely things that are going to influence content moving forward. Yeah, I, I would say it's, uh, I mean, there have been many <laughs> instances where it's it's proven a mistake to draw too many inferences about the video space from the gaming space and vice versa. But uh, I, I do think that this, you know, the snacking model, right, if you look at how games are played uh, on, on mobile phones uh, in these, you know, uh, about that time session five to ten minutes um uh i i think there's some good precedent there for catching up uh, on an episode of whatever series might might be launched on quibi so you know just just based on uh that that kind of usage model i'm somewhat ca cautiously optimistic so well uh of course at, in the end it all comes down to what the content is and how powerful it is and how viral it is. Uh, but, uh, but I think there's, there's definitely something to be said for the model. So, yeah, and, and yeah. then also it's, they're trying out several business models, right? So you have mm -hmm. the business model that you have to fine tune. And then you also have the content model that needs to be fine tuned. I think one of the great challenges for Quibi is that they're not just trying to redefine what the content is, but they're also launching a platform around that. So they are, there's a business model that has to be fine-tuned. There's technical aspects that need to be fine-tuned. And then there's also, to, to your point, Ross, that the content resonates with the, the end user. And that's, I think, been the great challenge with a lot of these platforms. And that's why there's so much 
hope in NBC's Peacock is they already know what the catalog is. We already know that there's appetite right. for some of that content. You're not having to build the content, the platform, the subscription model, all of these uh, other things. And that's the, the beauty of Peacock and Disney Plus, honestly, is that right. you know the content. I mean, ju- just as we were saying about Netflix, if this you know starts to take off, what is preventing Disney from launching you know, uh, 90 part, five minute segments of the Avengers, uh, you know, or, or NBC, you know, Peacock for doing the same with Harry Potter, uh, nothing, you know, and of course those brands are so powerful that, um, you know, particularly if you wrap it up in, in a wrapper of, okay, here's the stuff you can watch on your mobile phone. And here's the stuff that's better suited to your television. I mean, you know why 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 have to choose why have two services you know yeah. if i'm a huge harry potter fan uh w- won't i want to enjoy that both on my phone and on my tv so yeah and it, and it will be interesting to see how that user base develops because i think what you do see is that you have this especially younger generation watching content in a very dynamic way. I mean, they are moving across devices and they may not be thinking about what's the best content to watch on this particular screen, but they're just thinking, I want to watch this content or I want to watch this show. And so I'm going to watch it there. And so the the beauty of a Quibi model is that it becomes somewhat dynamic based upon even the orientation of your device. And I think that's where we're going to need to start to to move. And, And over the last month, you've seen a lot of announcements from NBC, from, you know, from Quibi, from Spotify, from others that are trying to fine tune and hone their advertising model so that you're not just advertising against a show, but you actually are buying advertising and then they're slotting it into the content next to the content that makes the most sense. Mm-hmm. So this, this idea of making it a more dynamic experience, I think is where we, uh, where we have to go. The, the, the old model was give the consumer choice and give them lots of choice and i think the next iteration of this is recognize where they are what they're doing how they're consuming this content and provide them the content experience that fits that uh that device or that time frame or that experience the the best i think that's the next big push that all of these platforms are going to have to make well i mean we'll see i you know i heard a, a lot of similar so, somewhat similar arguments during the heyday of interactive TV, right? Sure. I mean, it's a two-way connection. Let's take advantage of that. Let's put in all these, you know, interactive features. And then there was this sort of res- resignation uh, or reconciliation, like, yep, it's still video. You know, that's that's what the killer app is. So, but um, I wanted to transition uh, because when we talk about starting from scratch, you know, kind of a greenfield uh, video player. Uh, that's a decent segue to talk about Apple uh, and uh, its quarterly earnings. Uh, huge uh, upside on the on the wearables front. Um, a great, great quarter for the iPhone. Uh, when everybody thought it had uh, run out of gas, just goes to show what kind of magic a, a little bit of. Uh, uh, aggressiveness on on price will will do for you, uh, and on the content side, uh, maybe a little bit more disappointing given 
how much, uh, you know, on, on the podcast, for example, we talked many times last year about the coming imminent Apple services wave, and I'm sure there's much more to come, but uh, a little bit of a um, step back uh, there. Uh, and, you know, this was coming off the launch of, of many new services, Apple TV, for example, uh, with, with a whole new slate of, um, of programming that I would say has gotten mixed reviews. Uh, so uh, the morning show, probably their marquee title, uh, just got a, a, a SAG award, I think, for, for Jennifer Aniston, maybe, uh, maybe a Golden Globe. Uh, but uh, what, what's your take on, on Apple earnings and, and what we're seeing in, in terms of their content and services? Uh, yeah, I mean, to your point, you saw significant growth in the hardware generally, but especially in that uh, that wearable space. You saw services grow from up about 10.9 billion to 12.7 billion. So you saw it, an increase there. But you know, can they maintain maintain that momentum? Becomes a, a key question. Uh, well, I, I think a lot of it had to have been AirPod, right? Because during the holidays, it, we saw lots of promotion on AirPods and, of course, the launch of Pro on the higher end. Yeah. But, but uh, most significant uh, AirPod discounting we've seen since the launch of that product. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I, I, I think you're right there. Um, and, and I think to your point, you know, it's, it is hard to build out a content platform. And it's something that I think it has always been on Apple's radar and, you know, they're trying to figure out how, how to continue to maintain that and how to slowly, one thing to Apple's credit is they do play a long game and they are willing right. to build things out over a, a very long time. So it'd be interesting to see if they're able to, to do that. And obviously they're including a lot of things in their services it's cloud services it's music it's payment services they they've been pushing in all of those directions over the last year you couldn't hear from somebody from apple <laughs> over the last year and not hear the term services thrown out so there's a you know a lot to uh a lot of directions they're they're trying to, to uh push yeah, and, and uh, the iPhone, I would have to say this was just, I mean, I couldn't go back. Uh, I mean, I haven't gone back and sort of looked at what the waves of upgraders look like. Uh, I don't know if this was sort of a iPhone 7 or iPhone 8 era uh, wave of consumers that, that were upgrading, but uh, they seem to have caught a, a lot of those uh, folks, uh, maybe the improved imaging capabilities was was one of the hooks. Um, maybe support for some of these services was uh, was one of the hooks because you need the most recent uh, operating system to uh, to run some of them. Uh, and um, uh, you know, it's it's just uh, one of those. Uh, it's it's interesting because we're going to see Samsung uh, introduce its next generation uh, Galaxy smartphone next month. Uh, so they uh, Apple Apple knocked them out of the top tier. Uh, I'm not sure if it was globally or just domestically. I think probably just domestically. Yeah. Uh, uh, in um, in Q4. So 
you know, they, uh, they, they must be feeling some of that pain uh, and wanting to retain, the, uh, climb back and, and get back uh, those bragging rights. Yeah, I think the, the numbers I saw f- were from, um, from a couple of different companies. Apple had global smartphone shipments of 198 million in 2019. Samsung okay. was closer to 298 million. Right. And uh, Huawei was in actually at around 241 million. Right. So you've seen some growth there. Well, and Ross, as you think about subscriber growth, another uh, company that reported last week was Facebook. Revenue was up pretty significantly, 25% year-over-year growth to $21.1 billion. And they're, one of the things I noticed from them was that they're starting to report active daily users across all of their platforms, not sure. just their uh not just Facebook anymore, but now the the whole family of of uh, platforms that include Instagram and, and others. So they've had significant uh, growth as well over the last quarter and continue to move along. We also saw costs really increasing as it looks like they're uh, increasing um, probably not just their their labor costs, but also trying to improve the the platform and lock down the the platform. Uh, they've uh, they've attributed it to the increased focus on privacy and security, right. uh, I believe. So uh, I'm not sure what that is. Is it is it engineering? Is it these uh, screening centers that uh, we've we've seen some coverage about with um, the people monitoring all this horrible, horrible stuff that people post? Um, you know, with uh, uh, trying trying to uh, filter out a lot of the the hate videos and and you know child pornography and you know all this, this violent uh, you know horrible stuff uh, where um, the 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 people it, it's just getting uh, it's 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 there there have been allegations that they're suffering some of these people monitoring uh, these these uploads. Uh, are are being diagnosed with with PTSD, uh, which uh, which says something. Yeah. Uh, about I, you know, in some ways, I, the 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 most most of the coverage has been focused on getting the social media companies to take more responsibility for it. And fair point. Uh, but I I think it's even sadder that there's you know that it exposes this this element of are of humanity that is uh, interested in producing, uh, not only producing or curating this uh, this horrible content, but but trying to share it as well. Um, I think that that speaks to a far broader societal problem than uh, you know what what the social media companies should be doing, and of course they should uh, to to keep it uh, keep it as far away from public consumption as possible so. yeah yeah so as as you just noted too revenue was up 25 percent costs are up 34 percent so mm-hmm. you had costs out outpacing that headcounts up 26 percent over the over the last year but to to your point ross at least in the past many of these uh the the people that were reviewing the content and going contractors were, were contract employees. Right. So uh, perhaps they brought some of that in house or um, arguably if they haven't, then the number has actually grown even further. 
Mm. And so um, I, I think that's something that Facebook will continue to struggle with over the next year. And, and uh, also probably gearing up as we get closer to the 2020 uh, presidential election in terms of uh, trying to build systems to fight uh, as much of the disinformation and misinformation as it can while continuing to take this position of, well, we're, we're going to be somewhat selective in what we try to root out. Yeah, and I think yeah. that's... And I think that's a hard line to toe because after the 2016 election, should should it be revealed in the coming months that Russia or other foreign entities had a strong influence in the, the Facebook advertising marketplace, I think it will be a, a very difficult story for them to overcome. I think mm-hmm. that's that's something that uh, people will will feel like, hey, you, we forgave you the first time because nobody saw this coming, but the second time we're all expecting this. And, um, well, maybe, but uh, based on some of the arguments we, uh, we heard on the Senate floor, uh, this week, um, uh, many, many things can apparently be, be justified if, um, uh, if, if the president believes it's in his, uh, his best interest. Uh, so yeah, uh, we'll see what kind of wrinkle that, uh, that throws into things. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it it's something they'll be watching. I think it's definitely something they're investing in. It looks by all by all counts from their earnings something that they're investing in. And so something that uh, that they'll be trying to your point to to really get in front of in advance of the the elections in November. Well, there were right. s- several other announcements, uh, earning announcements last week, but probably a good place to stop there. Again, I'm Sean Duberback from Avrio Institute. And I'm Ross Rubin at Reticle Research. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Techspansive and tune in next week. <laughs>